0: Dear God, um, I just thank you for this time that we get to come together as one, as one church, Lord, to worship you. God, I just thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you've displayed it throughout your whole word, that you are a firm foundation and you're faithful on what you say you will do. And God, we just thank you for that. Thank you for displaying your faithfulness throughout our lives and throughout the testimonies of our family and our friends. And just thank you that we get to lean on that when times of troubles do come and when seasons of struggle um, come our way. And God, I just pray that as Pastor Rick comes up, I pray that you would give him boldness and strength to speak of your truth. And God, I just pray for everyone in this room too that you would just prepare our hearts And I pray that we could be good hearers, but even better doers of your word. And in your name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated.
1: There we are. Oh, <laughs> that is so good. All right. As you can see, <laughs> there is going to be a special week here today. It starts tomorrow. Uh, normally, we don't have all this set up, as you can see. And, and some even mentioned me, maybe I should talk about the armor of God. That, that seems like it probably would be a better topic at the moment. But we're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to especially welcome all of our younger guests today as they, uh, yeah, have, have not been part of at least this celebration. I'm going to be talking about a message that Jesus gave a long time ago. He is describing what life is going to look like if you listen to him. It's a whole sermon. It's three chapters long in Matthew, and it's given to us so that we might understand how to live abundantly now and enjoy eternity forever and ever. You know, the radical claims of Jesus have been set out in the Sermon on the Mount, culminating in an all-embracing principle found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You all know it as the golden rule. But Jesus literally ends his message here and uses these words to focus back on all that he had been talking about. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Jesus is trying to help each one of us understand how people live underneath his reign, that come underneath his authority, that listen to his words. You're going to look at others and think about them and talk about them and treat them the way that you would like to be treated. Now again, the only way that is going to happen is if you have a relationship with God, if you're walking with God, if you're listening to God, because basically we're selfish. We like doing things that please us and only us. Well today, Jesus is going to focus on how obedience to God's word is paramount for anyone who wants to be wise and follow Jesus. Or we could put it this way. If you want to hear from Jesus on what is the best thing to do in life, he's going to tell us today. Let's pray, though. Father, we do thank you for all the grace that you give us. We thank you for the opportunity that we can gather together as a community, and we can praise you Lord, it's hard to even imagine what's going to happen when we, as your kids, meet you. I'm sure we'll fall on our faces. I'm sure we'll start singing. I'm sure we'll be lifting our hands. I'm I'm sure, Father, it will be an experience that will last forever forever. We ask you, Father, that you would open our eyes a little bit more of who you are today. That, that we would see you a little clearer. And that we would be salt and light. We would listen to your words. And we would make a difference, whether it's in our school or in our home or in our neighborhood. We pray for other churches in the area, Father, other churches that are proclaiming your word or teaching your word. We we pray for Fierce Church. We pray for Casa, Lord, and we pray for the chapel. We ask dear God that you would use these pastors and these teachers and these people to live a life that glorifies you all in our neighborhoods. Although many of our kids are up here today, we know there are still kids downstairs. And we pray for those teachers. And we pray, Father, for those kids. And that they would hear about you and respond to you and love you more every single day. Lord, there's been a lot of preparation for our Vacation Bible School next week. Or actually this week. And and there are teachers who have prepared. And there are all kinds of staff hoping to proclaim your name accurately, desiring deeply for kids to come, kids who are part of our church and kids who are in this neighborhood, to be able to hear good news, to be able to trust you as Savior. We pray that not only happens, Lord, but we pray as kids go home that their transformed lives will change families. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we pray as we open your word today that you would help us hear well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, every person has a source or multiple sources of authority that informs or shapes their worldview. The authority influences how we think, how we act, and how we live. And it actually will determine how we die. Norman Gessler, one of my profs, again, back at Trinity, he's a theologian and a philosopher. And he says this, The truth is, is that a worldview is like colored glasses. It colors everything at which we look. It's a grid through which one views all of life. As such, it helps us form our thoughts, our values, and our decisions. The tragedy is, is that most people do not even know what their worldview is, how they got it, and how important it is in their lives. So determining our ultimate authority is critical because it shapes our worldview. Our worldview depends which pathway to take in life. And normally, especially if you're beginning college and you have a class that's called Introduction to Philosophy, you're going to identify all the different worldviews that are out there today. But for our purposes... I'm going to try to narrow that down and actually make it simple. Let's say, if your worldview today is materialism, basically you're saying this, uh, stuff matters, and the one with the most toys wins. So if that's your worldview, everything you do, well, revolves around you accumulating or you getting toys. For the most part. Second worldview is called hedonism or humanism. In this kind of philosophy, what you are saying is, I am the most important. I am God. I actually make the rules and do what I like and do what's best for me. So in that case, every decision, all of your money, all of your time, kind of goes through this grid and says... Hey, how is it going to benefit me? Third way to look at life is called universalism or postmodernism. On this one, we hear this often, but it's nobody has the corner on truth or knows what is right. So respect and tolerate everybody. Be at peace with everyone. This person that follows this uh, worldview probably would have a coexist bumper sticker on their car. Then there's something called theism. Theism is the loving and just God of the Bible who is sovereign and rules. He created us for a relationship with him so we can enjoy eternity together. Our choices determine what our lives look like today and what they will look like in the next million years. Jesus doesn't mince his words in our text. He is saying that it would be wise to listen to the creator and sustainer of life. So choose to come under his reign and authority because he is a good and he is a powerful God. Jesus was an expert teacher. He would tell simple and easy-to-remember stories that contain profound truth. One such story concerned two men who built their houses on different foundations. One house stood, and the other one crashed. The story we're going to hear today is a story that illustrates Christ's point perfectly. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 or your flat screens? Or if you don't have any of those, you can look on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. This is what Jesus says. "'Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise.' Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is a foolish Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Wise men hear Jesus' words and obey them. When a storm comes, the house will remain standing. The opposite, foolish men hear Christ's words... And disobey them. Jesus is talking about a contractor and the sandy foundation that he chooses. When the storm hits, the house falls because of its foundation. The only difference between the two builders is the foundation, and the way Jesus looks at it, it's obedience. Both builders heard the gospel, the same sermon, the same words of Jesus. Both proceed to build a house after hearing the same message. Both apparently built similar houses in the same location because the same storm came. The difference was the foundation. The difference was their obedience to the word. Now in this text, teachers often refer to the storms as storms of life. And and yes, this can be applied this way because of so many other scriptures that we need the foundation of Jesus, and in spite of our circumstances, we can remain standing. There's no doubt. But this is a secondary teaching right here, at least in this text. Jesus continues his course and focuses in this section on the final judgment. Last week, if you're with us, we looked at two coming judgments. Uh, the judgment that would um, bring all the peoples together who rejected Jesus, his word, is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And we read about it in Revelation 20. And, and Jesus says this is that he gathers these people. And everyone that found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those that have not received Christ as their Savior. And then we talked briefly, and and we're not going to spend a lot of time today, about the judgment seat. Where believers would meet and stand before God. Where they would be judged for their faithfulness, for their obedience to God. Now, Jesus ends this sermon just a little bit after he talked about the golden rule, and he talked about two roads, a road that's wide and a road that's narrow, but the wide road leads to destruction. He talked about two trees, one that bears fruit and one that doesn't that is cut down and sent to a fire. He talked about, last week, two disciples standing before him, one looking really good but not knowing him, and Jesus said, depart from me, I don't know you, and today, as he literally ends his message, he talks about two builders where one house crashes, Now, each illustration presents a contrast between the genuine and the spurious. A disciple's words do not determine their destination. It's their performance. Talking the talk without obedience just deceives you and those around you. Jesus clearly states that we will not deceive God who looks for practical results. The scripture specifically, this sermon, is not meant to just be admired. It's meant to be obeyed. So let's look at it. The the wise, they build their house or they build their lives on the rock, which is obedience. Obeying God means emptying one of self-righteousness and pride. Obeying God means that a person is overwhelmed by and mourns over their own sin as they look at God and see his holiness. Obeying God in his word means entering the narrow gate of obedience to Christ and his word. All of his words. You know, so many people, as they walk this path of discipleship, feel pretty good about reading scriptures and obedience. The struggle often comes is when Jesus is asking us to do things that we normally don't do or don't like doing or make us really uncomfortable. Things like forgiving people that don't deserve to be forgiven well yeah i i I forgive the majority of the people in my life you know really especially those i like we go a little bit further loving your enemies (laughs) well i don't have that many enemies and and we start to justify some of those things But realistically, loving and serving and caring for people that you really don't want to be with, those are part of the words that Jesus gives us. And the Holy Spirit inside of us enables us and empowers us to do that. So such a builder does not build his life on ceremony or ritual or visions or experiences or feelings or miracles, but on the word of God. Then Jesus says this, the foolish, the foolish. They build their lives on a sand foundation, which is composed of human opinions, attitudes and wills, which are always shifting and always unstable. To build on sand is to focus on yourself and to do what's best for you. Maybe obey some of God's words, but not all of them. You see, realistically, partial obedience is really disobedience. These folks build on sand because they're unteachable, because they like to be the authority And they don't like to come underneath any authority. To build your house on sand is to follow the ultimate deception of Satan, which is to make a person believe that he is saved. He's good enough, especially as he compares to others, instead of looking at God's standard. The foolish man hears the words of Christ, but doesn't act on them. This person who hears faithful gospel preaching week after week, but their behavior never changes and their lives are not transformed. This individual hears the word again and again, but deceives himself because his behavior doesn't change. He doesn't obey. He believes knowledge about God is more important than knowing and obeying God. Now Jesus warns his listeners by saying, you deceived yourself into thinking you will be ready to spend eternity with me, but but you won't. Your house will crash. You, this group, thought listening was enough. You thought superficial allegiance and casual and comfortable Christianity would suffice. But on judgment day, you are going to find that you were wrong. You see, to say you know God, but do not follow God obediently, is to be deceived. You are walking on a wide road that leads to destruction and building your house on sand. You see, a life of obedience is the only proof Scripture mentions that validates our salvation. Now, many of you have heard Jesus tell the story, well, not literally, but read when he told the story about the soils, the four different soils, and it's throughout the Scriptures, but... I looked at Luke chapter 8. The one thing that sticks out about this story that Jesus tells is that there is only one soil that bears fruit. Just one. The scriptures tell us that we become a new creation through faith by God's grace. That Jesus came... 2000 years ago to be able to satisfy his father's wrath because of our sin and to pay the debt for our sin and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus becomes a new creation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 you become a, a new person you have a new heart The Holy Spirit begins to live in you and begins to chip away all the things, well, that basically need to be chipped away, that don't reflect God well, that don't bear fruit. Coming to faith changes you, you are a new creation. You desire at this moment and receive God's word. You want to obey all of God's word. You bear fruit. It is exciting to lead someone to faith. It's exciting to watch their eyes, to encourage them to understand all the blessings that they have received. So many times, a new believer, I'll just walk through Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, blessing after blessing, understanding all that we have in Jesus because of God's grace. It's an amazing position. And as you understand that, you want to feed from his word you want to learn from his word you can't believe all that god has done and as a result you desire to obey him you want to obey him not because you're going to get whacked you want to obey him because you love him you can't believe that he has graced you all that he has Now, yes, there are lean times in believers' lives. There are lean times in in some of God's family. But if there has never been a desire to obey, never an excitement to come underneath all of God's authority, to learn from his word, there has never been a conversion. It was just words. You know what I've followed, or or what I've learned, is right follow up is easy when there's a real conversion. You know, as I was growing up, and especially working and serving in camp ministries, one of the things that happened, especially the last night of camp, it set up that there would be some kind of a decision. And I'm so grateful for camps, and I'm so grateful for opportunities that we get to work, especially with young people. And there are times when young people make decisions. Well, there's a lot of other people make decisions. But that's no different with adults. Sometimes they make decisions because a lot of other people make decisions. But if someone does truly come to faith, oh, it's easy to follow up because there's a thirst. There's a changing. They have a new person living in them. They are able to understand the scripture, they have a new teacher, and they have a new direction. New creations have a new heart and new desires. And God's word becomes sweeter and sweeter with obedience. It is not a burden, but it is a joy. So many times, as I look at Scripture, one of the things I'm reminded of is that the enemy deceives us really well really does. So you look at the parable of the soils. And, and, and again, you've read in the scriptures tell us that a farmer goes and, and tosses out seed. And this seed is God's word. And some of the seed lands on a hard pathway. There is no response. There is nothing. This person doesn't even acknowledge that this is God's word or important. Oh, but there's another group of seeds that land on what well, looks like really fertile soil. It does. And that seed goes in there and it germinates, right? That's the right term. It, it, it begins to grow and it starts to sprout and it is exciting. But realistically, the scriptures say that the shallow is really shallow or the, the soil is really shallow. And the roots can't go down. And when the sun comes out, because the roots aren't very deep, it withers, never bears fruit. And and then there's other seed that, that begins to grow in other soil, but there's a lot of weeds in that soil. And so they grow up together, but the weeds have a tendency to steal the nutrients. So although the plant grows, there's no fruit. But there's the one soil the soil that says he it lands and it's received and the plant grows and there is fruit a person that knows jesus as savior a person that has a has the holy spirit living in them is a person that receives and bears fruit. So, if there is a lack of fruit in your life, a lack of a desire to obey God, a a lack of, well, transformation, that you're still the same person you were when you received or thought you did, received Christ five years ago or ten years ago. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. Or at least you're not walking with the king. You're not connected. You've been listening to the enemy's lies. Because God's kids are supernaturally powered to love, accept, and forgive to think about others. We just don't normally do that. So if you aren't bearing fruit, it's one of two reasons. Either you're not a child of God, or you're not walking with God. Either one is serious. My sense is the first one's more serious. Because if you quit breathing, shall we say. And you don't know Jesus. Whoa. So really, Jesus is not telling a child's story. Uh, It has a nice ring to it. And and we sing about wise men and foolish men that build their house upon a rock and, and upon sand. But this is a strict warning from Jesus. John MacArthur, one of my favorite teachers, he, uh, let me share with you what he says about this story. The most tragic difference between the builders in their final, um, is in their final destinies. Jesus' unequaled and unparalleled sermon masterpiece ends with a devastating warning of judgment. Its final words are, and the great was its fall. The bottom line of the gospel for those who reject Christ is not that they forfeit a great deal of blessing or even that they forfeit a life of eternal bliss with God in heaven, though those things are absolutely true. The bottom line for those who reject Christ is that they are destined for an everlasting torment, destruction that keeps on destroying forever. To reject Christ is to look forward to being cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I think one of the areas that God is growing me in is a heart more and more for those who lost. Not that I never had that, but, but to realize that there are people around me that I don't think know Jesus. There are people someday are going to stand before God, either as their king or their judge. You know, discipleship is not just hearing and believing, but believing and doing. James, who was Jesus' brother, I think learned a lot from Jesus. Because in James chapter 1, starting at verse 22, this is what James says. But just don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There isn't one of us, after enjoying a wonderful meal, eating that scrumptious burger and having all of the insides kind of burst out onto your chin and face and beard. And your wife nudges you and says, hey, you got to go to the bathroom. No, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) Go look in the mirror. And you go there. And you go, ooh, that's attractive. Mustard, sauce, ketchup, little onion over here. Oh, whoa, that's good. And you walk back out. You just sit down next to her. And she says, are you an idiot? You go, no, dear. I'm your honey. Well, did you go look at the mirror? Of of course I looked at the mirror. Isn't that sweet? No. No. And that's what God's word is. God's word says, hey, I want to give you life. I I have words that will help you not only make a kingdom impact, but make a difference wherever you go. People will be in shock because you will live your life less selfishly. You will make a difference. You know, one of the things as I end this message, I realize that sometimes we don't obey because we don't know God's word. It's so interesting. Right before Joshua took over the reins and led Israel and became Israel's leader after Moses, God said this to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8 study this book of instruction when you have time he study this book of instruction every once in a while when you're in trouble study it, it doesn't even just say he read casually Hey, Joshua, you are going to lead. You are going to see giants. You're going to see walled cities. There isn't any way you're going to be able to do what I ask you to do, what I want you to do. The Word of God is so amazing. It's so powerful. It will remind you over and over again what is important, that I will be with you, that you can do this. Study it. Know it. Continually. All the time. Meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Memorize it. Allow God's word to transform your worldview. What makes you think or work or act? This is the book. This is God's love letter. This is the freedom giver. You want to know life? You want to be able to experience life? Jesus says, hey, if you're wise, listen. Then the instructions that Joshua goes on. So you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper. The only time you will succeed. The only time you will prosper. The only time you will succeed if you're a wise man and you listen to my words. You know, Mother's Day, we focused on Proverbs 31. And we handed out a bookmark and we encouraged our women to fear God. And it wasn't just an application to women. But it was the whole idea of, do you want to really prosper in life, ladies? And men, fear God. Listen to God. Know what he says is true. Bank on it. Spend time in it. But not just to know about it. but to know him and to change your life. Every time this opens, you say, Lord, what do you want me to change? Father, what area am I blind to? Well, what is it, God, you want me to do? Because normally I'm just not going to want to love my neighbor. I'm I just telling you. But that's what you want me to do today. Who do I need to ask forgiveness? Who do I need to apologize to? But God, that's way too. That is life. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, if you would, as we close our time. And I just want to ask you these words. Before I pray, and before we continue our purpose, our, our, our worship, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. How are the words of Jesus changing you today? And I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for me. But take a moment and just say, what is it that I need to obey? What is it that I need to confess? What is it that I need to thank you for, God, because I am obeying and I see the fruit of my obedience? Just take a few moments with Jesus right now. Father, we thank you for loving us in spite of our selfishness. Because I know we're selfish. I know I am. And I know, Father, that you want what's best for me and what's best for us. You've given us your word to help us understand what it means to come underneath your reign and your rule for us to trust you. I pray that our faith would grow in you and the enemy would have no more strongholds. I pray we would obey you with all of our hearts. Ultimately for your offer of salvation. So that when we see you, the house doesn't crash. But God, even more than that, that we would walk with you, listen to you, experience life underneath the good, good king. Thank you for keeping these words for us and continue to use them, Father. Father.